It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson, the most important story. Out here in Colorado, we had a sex education bill that was passed. It was signed by the governor and put into law. I just can't believe what is happening to uh, public education. The latest in politics and world affairs. We are now using policy that if you don't affirm something, that they use policy then to take away your businesses. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Kids are just being bombarded with darkness. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. You know, we need to get back to letting our kids be kids. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. <laughs> it is hump day and you've made it. Welcome, I am Kim Munson, and we are going to have a conversation about some really important issues out there. Uh, in our second segment, we will be talking with Colorado State Representative Perry Buck about the piece that she had in Complete Colorado. She said, keep the legislature accountable Vote no on Prop CC. I, I think that's a good idea, Steve, to keep the uh, legislature accountable and to make sure that we realize what they're trying to spend our money on. So we'll talk with her in the second segment. In the third, uh, fourth segment, we'll talk with D.K. Williams. He is uh, doing the law with Speakeasy Ideas, which is uh, with uh, Dr. Thomas Cranawitter. And we will be talking about uh, – he's, he's breaking down different – court cases, and we will be talking about Ray versus Blair, which is regarding the Electoral College or electors, and uh, so that will be a good conversation as well. As we look at these issues, we look at them as freedom versus force or force versus freedom, and surveys show that Americans like freedom, and uh, so it's important that we understand these issues and move towards freedom on that. We are continuing to see the socialization of key things uh, in our economy that make our lives better. That is not a good thing. Uh, and we see that in transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. And uh, remember, ultimately, socialism has to come down to force. And if it's such a great idea, why do you have to force people? Uh, so as we jump in here, thank you to the team. Thank you to Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie. appreciate all your good work. And to each of you listeners out there, thank you. Uh, keep those cards and letters coming. If you have uh, something you want to talk about, email me at kimandamerichicks.com. I sometimes get a little jammed up. It may take a couple of days to get back with you, but I will do that. And uh, then after the show today, we are going to do the drawing for the four tickets, that group of four tickets for the Kevin Sorbo meet and greet on Friday night up at uh, Grand Lakes U.S. Constitution Week and for VIP seating at the main event on Saturday. And uh, so if you'd like to be in that drawing, go to my website and you can sign up there at americhicks.com. Um, as we jump in here, Steve, anything initially on your mind before we go to our inspiration and our funnies? Well, we've been hammering away at this force versus freedom, rightfully so, but uh, saying that maybe people don't really think things through, you know, the way we kind of like them to is to understand what's at stake and the force versus freedom. Uh, freedom, we all get it to a degree, although I think we take it for granted too much. But uh, the force thing is like, what is being forced upon us? And if something popped into my head while the opening was playing is taxation at right. any particular level. That's force. If, I mean, if ultimately you don't pay your taxes... Uh, then some government official is going to come and forcibly, you know, do something to you. Exactly. And, you know, say, well, all right, well, that's, you know, I can live with that. Can you really? Because 
again, your prosperity, your individual prosperity is consistently under attack. And a government that takes so much away from what it is that you've, you have earned uh, has to be kept in check. It really does. And I think, I think most reasonable people do agree that, that some taxes are necessary. And as we look at the U.S. Constitution, there are, are certain things that <clears throat> the federal government is supposed to do. And then, of course, we, we have things at the state and local level as well. But, uh, you know, we're getting way, way out of whack on all of this. And we'll talk about one of these headlines here in just a minute. And so that's why TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, is so important and so unique is because <clears throat> it has kept a, a limit on how fast government can grow. And it says you just have to ask, you just have to ask us, just have to get our consent if you want to raise taxes, if you want to, and when I say you, that's politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, PBIs. If you want to raise our taxes, if you want to incur debt that we have to pay off, or if you want to keep our tax refunds, Above and will give you a very uh, generous formula <clears throat> of <clears throat> excuse me population plus growth. So let's jump in here, though. Uh, it is Constitution Week, <clears throat> and uh, get the pipes cleaned out here, uh, Steve. It's Constitution Week, so I've been looking for founders, different founders quotes, and this is a quote from James Wilson. And James Wilson is a former associate justice of the Supreme Court of the U.S. He was one of the founding fathers and a signatory of the United States Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He was elected twice to the Continental Congress, where he represented Pennsylvania and was a major force in drafting the United States Constitution. A leading legal theorist, he was one of the six original justices appointed by George Washington to the Supreme Court of the United States. Steve, did you know all that about uh, James Wilson? I did not. Okay, that's your little history lesson for today. Thank you. Okay, and this is what he said. He said, law and liberty cannot rationally become the objects of our love unless they first become the objects of our knowledge. So since this is Constitution Week, read the Constitution, read the Declaration of Independence. Uh, these, uh, these words put in place uh, a government that has allowed more people to thrive and prosper than any other government in the history of mankind. Okay, Steve, are you ready for the funnies? <clears throat> Can I hold you to it? Yeah. I'll laugh. I think you will. Go for it. Okay. Toward the end of a graveside service, there was a massive clap of thunder, followed by a tremendous bolt of lightning and even more thunder rumbling in the distance. And the old man looked at the pastor and said, well, she's there. (laughs) Did you like that one? Yeah, I did. Okay. Obviously, he... He knows. <laughs> yeah, the old guy knows. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just very quickly run through uh, three or four headlines. First of all, this is from Complete Colorado. The legislative commi- uh, the 10-member Colorado Energy Legislation Review Interim Study Committee, can you say all that without taking a breath, met at Colorado Mesa University in Grand Junction this last Friday to hear from Western Slope officials and energy companies about the impacts of Governor Polis' plan for a new energy economy. Western Slope electric companies and county commissioners from Mesa, Delta, Route, Moffat, and Gunnison counties testified about the potential disastrous impacts of last session's Senate Bill 181 and Governor Polis' plan for 100% renewable energy. High on the list of issues for the electric power cooperatives is the application... Um, let's 
see here, tri- that uh, Tri-State Generation and Transmission Association be placed under the control of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission for Rate Regulation. I'm just going to stop right there. When we're talking about freedom versus force, Steve, there's three wor- three words we hear right there. Control, regulatory, and regulation. And so these leaders out on the Western Slope have met with um, our, the legislative committee to let them know that this is a real problem. So I hope that they will listen. We'll see on that. Uh, next thing I wanted to mention was uh, over here on uh, – we this happened, I think, last week. And uh, I, I imagine most of you saw this. But uh, abortion doctor's family finds remains of more than 2,200 fetuses at his home after his death. And the remains of more than 2,200 unborn children have been found in the Illinois home of a former Indiana abortion doctor who died earlier this month. The discovery was made by the members of the family of Dr. Ulrich Kloffer, who died September 3rd. As they were going through everything, they found, uh, again, 2,200 fetuses. And my, my, I just have two questions that I would like to ask on that. This is one of those stories that raises more questions than it answers. So go ahead, fire away. Well, my two questions is uh, this mainstream media that is so obsessed with race does not talk about the race of all of these little children that were medically uh, preserved at this doctor's home. And as many of you know, Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, was really a racist. And, and she founded Planned Parenthood, and they primarily put these clinics in black neighborhoods. And it was, you know, it, many times it's black children that are being aborted. And uh, let's see, it was, the, I, it, well, I'm not, I don't know who to attribute to. Exactly, but the, they said that one of the most dangerous places for a black child is in the womb right now because of this aggressive abortion uh, culture that we have had over these many years. I think that things are starting to change. But my other question on this, my friend, is what would the left say? I love dogs, and but I wonder what they would do if it was 2,200 puppies that had been medically um, preserved and found and been found at a veterinarian's. I think that the narrative and the outrage uh, might be totally different on that, Steve. Well, like I said, more questions than answers on this one. Uh, first, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm too literal, too logical in my thinking. F- f- why? Why is he doing this? And then how? Is he, this was in his home? Yeah. Then the how is like, what kind of facilities do you have to be able to do that? Well, he, w- he worked at the clinic in Indiana, so I guess I'm just guessing that, that you know, he did what he did at his job and, uh, and then just brought them home. Brought, over. His, brought his work home. Brought okay. His, yeah. mm. But, you know, the qu- still the question remains is why? What, what was he doing? What was his motivation? I don't know. But, you know, ultimately your two questions are probably trump mine, but uh, I just... I can't comprehend stuff like this. Yeah, I can't comprehend it either. And, you know, when as we're going through the Federalist Papers and we talk about these rights that were given by God uh, of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, uh, then we have to value life. We have to value life from beginning to end. And a society that doesn't value life 
you know, I think I think we get to where we're here, where we're just, you know, we we're losing our foundation. We wonder what's going on in America, and we when we don't honor those things of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, where we don't have a foundation of rock, we have a foundation of sand. Um, but uh, you know, I really think that we have a great awakening that is occurring, and I'm excited about that. Um, there was one other thing I did want to mention, and then we'll get to break here. This was from USA Today. And it says, uh, we spend about half of our federal tax dollars on health care. That is ridiculous. And this is by Marty Macri in the USA Today. He said, politicians make a lot of promises on health care. Maybe they should promise to get rid of waste. As presidential hopefuls debate how much more money to pour into our broken system, they should consider how much we already spend. In a new report out Monday, my John Hopkins colleagues and I found that nearly half of our federal tax dollars are being spent on health care. He says, bear with me because I know these are a lot of numbers, but let's add it up. Start with the 27% of federal spending that goes to Medicare, which covers seniors and disabled, and Medicaid, which covers low-income Americans. Next includes Social Security spending that gets siphoned into health care through Medicare co-pays and other expenses. More than one in five federal dollars goes to Social Security. According to a Kaiser Family Foundation study, seniors are spending nearly half of their Social Security payments for medical expenses. The amounts, this, that amounts to an additional 11% of the federal budget being spent on health care through the Social Security program. And he says that's not all. The military health care system consumes more than 1% of the federal budget, separate from spending on health care for veterans, which is more than 4% of federal spending, and then another 1% is spent on health benefits for the 9 million federal employees, retirees, and their family members. And they said, finally, we estimate that 3% of federal spending goes towards interest on the portion of our national debt attributable to health care spending. And he is calling this the medical industrial complex. You think, Steve? I do. And you have you have identified other areas of governmental hierarchy that have become industrial complex. Just add this to the list. Mm-hmm. And I've got a solution. I stopped by Chick-fil-A yesterday. Oh. I tell you, I mean, the traffic was, I mean, cars everywhere. But, I, you know, they have figured it out. They can get people in and out. Uh, and they have somebody out there directing traffic. They have somebody out there that is taking your order, then giving you your receipt, then giving your food, and they are very efficient. They deliver a great product at a reasonable price. I think maybe we should put Chick-fil-A in charge of the uh, healthcare system. What do you think? <laughs> Always, if it works, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. <laughs> is, is you're going to Chick-fil-A, is that kind of a little pushback on the KU with the other things that were going on about two weeks ago? You betcha. And what you're mentioning is that there, there were some professors that were at KU, University of Kansas, a rock chalk Jayhawk, that were protesting uh, and did not want to let Chick-fil-A uh, come into the student union. Hey, let the kids vote. If they don't want to go to Chick-fil-A, they won't go there and spend their money. And if they do then Chick-fil-A will be very successful. So let them choose as a, in a free and fair market. We're going to go to break. I am so excited to be talking with Perry Buck. Uh, she's a representative here in Colorado. You know that. And she had a recent piece in the Complete Colorado, Keep the Legislature Accountable, Vote No on Proposition CC. And I love it. A legislator that says keep us accountable. I love that. So we'll be right back. 
At Hooters, you can watch the games with all your buddies. And when your buddies are the world-famous Hooters girls, there's always plenty of ice-cold beer and those craveable wings that'll knock your taste buds into next Tuesday. Hooters girls know plenty about football, but we really know the fans who live for it. So hang out with all your buddies all season long at Hooters, your official hangout for game day. Catch all the games at Hooters and enjoy a butter Bud Light draft with 10 boneless wings, just $10. Dine for two with the pitcher and nachos, just $20. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson. Let's have a conversation with uh, Colorado Representative Perry Buck. Perry, Welcome. Good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm good, and I tell you, you do a great job, and we appreciate all that you do to get the truth and the facts out there. So thank you. Well, we're doing our best on that, Perry, and thank you for what you do. Uh, You are down at the legislature, and you've written this important piece in Complete Colorado, and people can go to completecolorado.com and then click on that banner ad at the very top, and all of these original pieces come up. And yours is is so important. You say, keep the legislature accountable. Vote no on Proposition CC. So what is going on, Perry? So I, I think it's, it's just, um, I know it, it's being in the minority, you really find out um, how painful it can be by people thinking that they know what's best on, especially how to spend your money better than the government can, which is not true, right? So they got this ballot initiative um, that you'll be seeing in November, which is the no on CC, where they, what they're trying to do is, is take your refunds and for the next year and on and on and on. Forever. And, right. Which is, which, which, which really frustrates me is because the ballot is going to say without, uh, without raising without taxes, raising the tax Right, and so you know as well as I do, if they're taking your taxes and they're also taking your refund, that is nothing less than a tax increase. So right off the bat, it is dishonest. I, 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 I'm, I'm, somebody said to, to actually really, I may say disingenuous, I try to be careful with my language, but this is really dishonest, what is going on. The other thing, Perry, and I just realized this, is that this is a statute that is would is attempting to change an amendment to the constitution it's not only dishonest it's illegal oh i'm i I hope it is challenged but the the polling looks good on it and this is an issue though kim i think that everybody needs to get engaged on and 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 when you say uh, the polling looks good the polling looks good that it will be defeated is that right yes okay good okay yes but this is a an, an issue everybody needs to 
come together and, and work on. I know in Wells County we're uh, passing these out because there's plenty of flyers. I mean, we're very fortunate to have Colorado Rising, Americans for Prosperity. We've got Amy Oliver with No on CC. So there's a lot of material out there, and I'm working in the Wells County area. But we're passing out these flyers in the parades. We're uh, sitting in booths passing out just pieces of literature because a lot of people don't even know what Tabor is. So we're going to the farmer's markets. We're going to, uh, having opportunities to gather people in, in libraries. And this is a perfect thing for a candidate to use to in, engage your your uh, constituencies. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's just uh, – this is just a winnable argument. Well, and, and the uh, yeah, the important thing is is to, as you mentioned, to inform people, and uh, it really comes down to consent and good manners. And and uh, I'm calling them now politicians, bureaucrats, or PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties. I would not call you a, a politician, Perry. I would call you an elected official. So I think there's a difference between those. <laughs> <laughs> But um, PBIs, uh, basically, what they're saying is, is, is we want your money, and we don't have to be accountable for it. And I think that's really what you're saying in this particular uh, op-ed that you did at Complete Colorado. Yes, well, we can look at what referendum C. Do you remember all the promises referendum C right. was going to give us? And I can tell you uh, there was $32 million that went to 28 new regulations in the Department of Regulatory Agencies. That was so disingenuous for what they said that they were going to spend the monies on. So for them to think that they can take your refunds and then still think that they will be accountable for it is absolutely a lie. A lie. Well, and, and if they say they're going to be accountable, <clears throat> then why, why go uh, through this and say that we want your refunds and we're going to be accountable? Just to, just keep things as they are and just be accountable, Right. Right, and if they thought, I mean, well, so what, referendum C or uh, 23, uh, Amendment 23, where the teacher salaries were to go up, and actually they've been dropping 20%. They've received 20% in income, but their salaries have dropped 23%. And that's because, again, it's government that's getting in the way of getting that money to the teachers, which if I were as a teacher, I'd be furious because we have promised them all these things in the name of what government said that they were going to do. And they're, they they never come through, Kim. So that's why I just can't imagine anybody supporting Proposition CC. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a blank check is what it is. Right. And a blank check is never a good idea. You know, I was thinking about this just from a, like a parent standpoint. You don't give your kids a blank check and think that you're going to have great results. There has to be accountability. There has to be discipline. Uh, you know, there has to be conversation about all of these things. If you're going to have, uh, you know, successful, you know, relationships on a personal level, also with, with your government. And um, I, I think it's a direct affront to everyday hardworking people, what these PBIs are trying to do with this Proposition CC. So as you mentioned, it begins with uh, uh, dishonest language without raising taxes. Well, if you're keeping my tax refunds, which are due to me, that is is a tax increase. And uh, then just the fact that they are trying to change the, the Constitution, which that amendment was put in by the people, 
the taxpayers bill of rights was voted on to be put into the Colorado constitution by the people. And now you have this legislate, this last legislature and, and this, um, this governor that actually are trying to circle around that. Just the, it's just a disrespect for everyday hardworking people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I don't know about you, but I have the, the kitchen table where I do my budget and by golly, it's, you know, everybody needs those extra dollars to balance the checkbook sometimes. And to think that government can spend it better than you is just painful to even hear that. Well, it, ah. it, it really is, Perry. So yeah, thank you for fighting the good fight. And, and to that point, uh, I think you can go to dot. I can't remember if it's .com. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get that in the break. But there is actually a 14-point flyer there that is very good. Uh, and it, the first thing about it is consent. You know, they just consent. Just ask us if you want to raise our taxes, incur debt we have to pay off, or keep our, our refunds above. And we're giving a very general, generous formula for government to grow, and that is population plus inflation. But anything above that... You have to ask us if you want to keep those refunds. So, uh, Representative Buck, thank you so much. Now, what? Just very quickly, aren't you uh, running for something up in Well County? Don't I remember that? Yes, I'm running for Well County Commissioner at large. And if you go to Perry for Well County, no Perry for Well dot com, you will see my website. And uh, I would love love anybody's support uh, for my my candidacy. And when is that election? That'll be November of 2020. Okay, very good. Well, Representative Buck, thank you so much. You've got another legislative session to uh, power through, and I really appreciate uh, what you do. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Kim. Appreciate it. You bet. And uh, Jason McBride. uh, Hey, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. So, hey, um, well, we were just talking with... uh, uh, Representative Buck, Perry Buck, regarding this no on Prop- Proposition CC. And it is really important to keep these um, PBIs, these politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties accountable, Jason. Yeah, I absolutely think it is. Uh, somehow most of them figure out a way to not live or be affected by a lot of these crummy rules that they pass through sometimes. And we should uh, make sure, you know, it's hard to say how do you do that, but they should be accountable for it as well. I mean, locally here, I'm not sure how you make them accountable for for, uh, passing CC and taking the Tabor money or whatever. But, you know, in San Francisco, you could make them live down on the street in a tent. (laughs) That's true. So, hey, um, very quickly before, I've got a couple of questions on interest rates, but Patty said, she just texted me, she said that website is votenooncc.com, votenooncc.com, and uh, I think there's a flyer there that can uh, answer questions. And then we need to be engaging, Jason. We need to be talking with our friends and our family and our colleagues about this because people get so busy with their lives that they may not be paying attention, and so we need to do that. But what about interest rates? What What do you think is going to be happening with interest rates? Well, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the Fed wraps up their two-day meeting today. Um, you know, if you'd asked uh, two weeks ago, there was like a 90% chance they thought that Powell was going to cut rates by another quarter of a percent. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, the stock market's right at a new high. 
There doesn't seem to be, you know, any major problems with our economy where it would need to be boosted or stimulated. And now the the odds as we go in today are at about 50% of a rate cut. Uh, I honestly, Kim, I, I don't think we need one. I don't think that we need a rate cut right now. I know uh, uh, Trump wants one, um, and of course, you know, he just wants all the stimulation he can get to uh, make the market great, which I think is great, but uh, we can't rush to the bottom with every other company, country on the face of the planet that is now in territory where it's negative interest rates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and if the economy is going well, and... I, you know, I, so many different people have opinions about the Fed, and, and can they really be that smart to tweak the economy? Um, I, I think I'm with you. If, if we're at a new high and the, things look like they're pretty, going pretty well, it's probably good to, to not cut rates. The other thing, though, is <clears throat> if, they, if we have a rate cut, that does reduce the interest cost that we're having to pay on our debt as taxpayers, though, right? Well, it reduces the interest uh, cost somewhat, sure. I mean, that's one reason that, that it could be uh, positive, especially for the government. You know, there, there's there been talk, uh, Mnuchin is talking about creating 50-year uh, maturity uh, treasury bonds, and I even heard the, the possibility of a 100-year maturity treasury bond being floated, uh, which, you know, actually, that that's kind of smart thinking if we're going to be borrowing money which we're not going to stop anytime soon kim let's let's face reality uh with the the super low interest rate environment we're in why not float a bond bond that uh, you can borrow a whole bunch and it doesn't mature for a hundred years uh lock in that super duper low rate and make our payments low but who would buy that jason I I am not sure, but, you know, it's always surprising the uh, appetite that's out there for, uh, for debt of the United States. Uh, you've had a lot of uh, appetite for that recently. That's the reason that our bond prices uh, have shot up a bit over the last few weeks. And I think part of that is other countries that are like, gosh, you know, I can get paid to own the U.S.'s debt. Uh, to own the debt of my own crummy country that's in worse shape, I have to pay them 2 or 3%. Yeah. Which one sounds like a better deal to you? Yeah, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out, Jason. So, Well, thank you uh, so much. And, uh, you know, if people would like to sit down and, and talk with Jason, like do a discovery on your own personal finances, you can see the amount of work that, that he puts into just watching everything every day. Um, go to chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. Or Natalie will be at the boards uh, at uh, 7.30. That phone number is 303-694-1600. 303-694-1600. Jason, thank you so much. I really learn a lot from our conversations, and I really appreciate that. Well, I'm honored that you'd say that, Kim, and you have a great show. Thank okay, you. thank you. And uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking with D.K. Williams. And he is doing something with uh, Dr. Tom Cranawitter and Bethany over at Speakeasy Ideas, and it's the law. And he is going through a variety of different Supreme Court, well, different court cases, and then breaking those down for us. And there's one regarding uh, the electors. And this is a really important conversation. So we'll be right back with D.K. Williams. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? 
How about a new site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are going to have a conversation with D.K. Williams. He is an attorney. He is also uh, doing podcasts on speakeasy ideas called The Law with D.K. Williams. So, D.K., welcome. Good morning, Kim. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, you are doing an amazing amount of work here. If you go to speakeasyideas.com and uh, go to the law, you have, uh, uh, this is episode number 50, Ray versus Correct. Blair. So that means there's 49 before that, right? That's right. Almost <laughs> one a week. I missed a couple, but almost one a week. Wow. This Every is... Thursday, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, explain that to our folks. So what are you doing exactly with Speakeasy Ideas? Yeah, um, I've been doing this podcast um, about the law, and uh, they kind of started with me almost just over a year ago, I guess. Um, and I made some different comments uh, on social media about you know what, what cases actually meant. Because um, it's obvious sometimes on, on the news, uh, cable news or on the radio, where somebody is talking about a case, and one that really jumped in my mind at the time was Citizens United. Mm-hmm. And people are talking about it, and it's clear they haven't read it. I mean, I'm not just saying that they might have a different interpretation of it. They haven't read it. They're, they're basing what they've heard from somebody else and drawing these, and having these passionate opinions about something they haven't read. And so I, I see that as something that's not ideal. You know, if you're going to have an opinion about something, um, you should have read the text, right? Yes. Uh, or at least acknowledge that. Or at least say, you know what, I haven't read it, but this is what I understand, which is fine, right? Because nobody's going to read these cases. Very few people are going to read these cases. But I think it's important to know that because when people talk about um, uh, Citizens United, they talk about how this is giving uh, corporations personhood or counting them as people with rights. That's not actually what it did at all. I mean, all, what Citizens United said was that the federal government, via the Federal Elections Commission, cannot censor a documentary before an election. I mean, that's what it's about. So that, that's got me started on it. And there's so many cases out there that I think are important. And uh, recently, there's been some involving the Electoral College, which are going to have uh, a major effect on the elections in 2020. And so I got into those uh, the past three uh, podcasts. Okay. And I had uh, actually, you know, we send out an, a newsletter each week, and I recommend that you sign up for it. There's a lot of great information and upcoming guests but I had something incorrect in there. I said that we would be talking about a Supreme Court case 
regarding this decision here in Colorado, whether or not electors uh, have to cast their votes for the the uh, presidential candidate went, that got the most votes here in Colorado, or if they could, you know, cast their vote however they wanted. And that was not a right. Supreme Court case, was it? We need Correct. To- what, what we've had happen here in this past uh, summer, uh, spring and summer, we've had two cases from different courts that are lower level courts, not the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, the first one was in May of this year. It came out of the state of Washington. It was Guerra versus Washington. That's G-U-E-R-R-A. Um, and in that case, from 2016, there were three presidential electors um, that were required by Washington state law to vote for the winner of their state election, which was Hillary Clinton. And three of these people were like, you know what? And it, this was kind of a nascent movement that didn't really pick up a lot of steam. But there were some progressives and Democrats that were so aghast at the prospect of Donald Trump being the next president. Some of these people said, you know what, let's. If we can get some of these Trump electors to not vote for Trump, maybe we can keep him from getting the 270 that is the minimum required to, to win the Electoral College. And so a lot of these Democrats, or a handful of them, said, hey, guys, we'll vote for a Republican like uh, John Kasich or Colin Powell. If you guys do the same thing, maybe we can stop uh, Trump from being president. So that was the idea. Okay. And three of these electors in Washington did that, and they violated Washington state law. And they were fined $1,000 for violating the law and not voting for Hillary Clinton. And it went all the way up to the state court. The state Supreme Court in Washington upheld the state statute that said electors must vote for the popular vote winner. Um, And then a couple months later in August, the Tenth Circuit, which is based here in Denver, Colorado, had a similar case, but it dealt with Colorado statute. And in Colorado, you had... You had three, but only one guy ended up actually crossing off Hillary Clinton on his electoral ballot, uh, Michael Baca, B-A-C-A. And that was against Colorado state statute that said, hey, these electors, all you can do is you're just rubber stamping the electoral college uh, or the, the popular vote. And, of course, in Colorado in 2016, it was also Hillary. So Michael Baca was part of this, uh, this movement, and he scratched out Hillary's name. And I believe he did put in John Kasich. But Secretary of State of Colorado at the time was Wayne Williams. He said, you're violating state law. You can't do that. I'm going to remove you as an elector for not doing what you're supposed to do. And he actually said, hey, I'm going to turn you over to the attorney general for misrepresenting an oath and fraud and all this type of stuff. That never happened, but it was part of the the, uh, decision. And uh, Baca was replaced by somebody who did what they were supposed to do under state law, rubber stamped it. Baca sued went to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they said, Colorado can't do that. Colorado state statute cannot bind the electors. They can vote their conscience. They can vote however they want. Um, So you've got two competing appellate decisions from different places, but we need one rule for the entire United States, right? It's the Constitution that is, is, is telling people how this works. And so having different rules could be a major problem in 2020 if it's a close race. Now, if somebody wins by 100 electoral college votes, it's not going to matter. But if it's close and you've got a handful of electors that say, hey, the Tenth Circuit said I can vote for whoever I want. I don't like the winner. I'm going to vote for somebody else to throw the election or whoever the winner is, quote, unquote, winner, under the 270 electoral college threshold. So nobody gets 270. 
and that would put it into the House of Representatives. But here's the issue. It only goes to the House of Representatives if somebody doesn't get a majority. But if there are electors just voting their conscience and not doing what their state statute tells them to do, somebody's got a majority. It's just how do we count those votes? We either count them the way they voted them, just, hey, I, I want to vote for candidate X, even though my state says I have to vote for candidate Y, I'm going to vote for X. So one of the presidential candidates can say, no, that guy's vote counts the way his state tells him he has to vote. And the other candidate could go, no, he can vote however he wants. So it's a question of how do we count those votes, and if it's close, it can make the difference in who the next president is. And if the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't resolve this one way or the other, and I think there's a correct way, but one way or the other, that could be a major problem. And, um, you know, and then if the U.S. Supreme Court then tries to decide it after the election, you can imagine oh how the protest from whoever loses, right? So that's kind of the outline of it. Um, it's probably a lot there to, to jump into, but I can even give you one worst-case scenario. It could even get worse. Let's say that one of the Supreme Court justices dies. So now it's eight. And let's say the Supreme Court, after this controversy has arisen after the election, and they can only get a four to four, a four to four decision, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you have to figure all that out. But it's certainly going to make the uh, the results that much more controversial. Um, and you could have competing presidencies, like in Venezuela. <laughs> you know, oh no, I won. No, I won. Oh so my I, gosh! It, it could happen, right? I mean, I don't think it's likely, but it could happen unless the Supreme Court clears us up. Okay. Now, a couple of things. We're going to go to break, but first of all, uh, your law, episode 49, is the Guerra versus Washington that I think you just referenced. And then the law, episode 50, is Ray versus Blair. Is that the other one that we were talking about? Okay. Yeah, Ray versus Blair is the U.S. Supreme Court case, but that's from 1952, and it doesn't really answer the question. But both courts cite it because it talks about the electoral college. Okay, so you can get that at Speakeasy Ideas. Now, I have three questions that will go to break uh, and and would like to get the answer to that. <clears throat> well, two maybe. First of all, who chooses the electors in each state? And then what does the Constitution say about this? So we're going to go to break. This is Kim Munson. I'm having a conversation with D.K. Williams, Speakeasy Ideas and the Law, uh, about this uh, whole electoral college, the electors, Really an important conversation, pretty complicated, but uh, we want to bring this forth so that you, the listeners, have an idea what's going on. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GUR, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. This week at the 88 Drive-In, keep your windows rolled up and your vehicles locked because things are about to get creepy. Friday the 13th through Thursday the 19th, see three scary movies for $9. It, It Chapter 2, and Scary Stories. 
Monday through Thursday, get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot, along with two 16-ounce sodas, all for only $12. Sip on some hot apple cider, along with a sweet, crunchy churro. We're open seven days a week, so get directions now on the 88 Drive-In Facebook page or 88drivein.net. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson. We're having a conversation with D.K. Williams. Uh, he is writing the law, at, and you can find that at Speakeasy Ideas. Just had a text from Katie, and she said, this is so interesting, D.K., so uh, yeah. <laughs> love hearing awesome. that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, my two questions. Who chooses the electors in each state? All right. So the Constitution says that each state can select them, and so they can come up with different ways to do it. And it is morphed into a rubber stamp for the most part. Like we're, we just kind of expect Hillary won Colorado, so she gets Colorado's nine electoral college votes. In Washington, same thing, although they get ten. So that's how it's morphed. And nobody has really challenged that in a substantial way until, until 2016 or when those, those cases happened. Um, but the, so the Constitution is clear that states get to select their electors, and it's, just, it's up to the states. And every state has a winner-take-all system right now, except two. Maine and Nebraska actually do it differently. They divide up their electors by their congressional districts. So if you win a congressional district, you get one electoral college vote. And so like in Colorado, we've got seven congressional districts. So that could go four to three or whatever combination of um, uh, how that could break down. And whoever wins the entire state in Nebraska and in Maine get the other two electors. They win the entire state, you get like a bonus two. Um, And because the electoral college is based on the number of congressional uh, members that you have, plus your two state senators. So that's how we get that number. Um, So the issue is whether or not, when the states select their electors, can they make them bind themselves to a particular vote? And so, and the way, my little Johnny Cochran rhyme to sum it up, the the way the Tenth Circuit agreed in the Colorado cases, that states can select their electors, but they cannot direct their electors like my little Johnny Cochran thing there. They can select them, they can't direct them. Um, but that's the, that's the dispute, because Washington says that, Washington State says that they can do that. But, but um, who so, chooses them? Who, who, when we say oh, the state, the, who is that? Yep. In, every state does it differently. But in Colorado, and I, don't, I haven't attended any of these, these uh, state conventions, so somebody can probably give me the nuts and bolts even better. But in, in Colorado, there's a statute that says each major party, or each party that might have a presidential winner or candidate um, selects their nine electors in Colorado. So the Democrats elect their nine. Republicans elect their nine. And for the most part, we've just, it doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares unless this 10th Circuit decision is upheld. And so each party picks their own electors. And then whoever wins the popular vote, that slate of electors gets to vote. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And so two other questions. We're having more and more people become unaffiliated here in Colorado. So how yep. does that play into it? Uh, well, third parties um, can nominate their slate of electors as well. Um, it's just you know, not likely that they're going to be needed. Um, so 
you know, that's a political question, right? You know, if, if fewer and fewer people are in the uh, two major parties, and like in Colorado, that's a fact. I think 40% of the elect, uh, elect, what am I trying to say? Electorate. Eligible voters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of the electorate is unaffiliated. Um, and that's just a political question. You know, what are people going to do about, about how we select all kinds of offices, you know, winners of all kinds of offices? Mm-hmm. But um, however we do that, it's not going to affect this major question of how do those electors, once they're picked, get to vote? And, and so is it like the Central Committee of the Democrat Party, Central Committee of the Republican Party that choose these electors? Or oh, man, who? you are going to know more about that than me. Um, I think that at the uh, state convention, there's an election for these people. Okay. Um, yeah, I, and again, if like, somebody has been there and done it and knows like the actual nuts and bolts of it, um, how the ballots are handed out or whatever, if there's speeches, you know, I, I do not know that part of it. Okay, so you just know the law. That's the <laughs> <laughs> in this case. In okay. this case, anyway. Yeah. Okay, so there is um, there is tremendous danger for. I mean, we've had. I'm just thinking, we've had all these years of peaceful transition after our elections. I mean, this could really cause some trouble. I think. I think it could. I mean, I think we're talking about like you know some serious like. Like banana republic type third world um, uh, controversy here, um, if it all plays out that way. Um, again, I don't think it's likely, but it is certainly very possible. So it's important for us to know this, right? So if we know it, we can be prepared for it and try to not let it happen or not make it happen. Okay, so on these two court cases, uh, where do you think that they'll get to the Supreme Court before the election, or what sh- how's that going to work? I hope so. And, I, I, and uh, so the, there's actually a group, a progressive group that's behind these two lawsuits that's like funding them um, um, and equal votes or something like that. It's, it's, a, some, it's a Harvard law professor, I believe, who's actually behind it. And they want to get it to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's their entire goal is to get it there. Now, they hope it's going to be a, a step towards abolishing the Electoral College, which practically could happen. That's their hope. But it doesn't mean that's what the U.S. Supreme Court would do. Um, I think the U.S. Supreme Court will do what the Tenth Circuit did. Uh, although the Tenth Circuit, what, there's only three judges on that panel. That's the way the, these federal circuit courts work. And it was a two-to-one decision. But the one who opposed Baca uh, said he should lose, did it on some uh, other procedural grounds, like he didn't have standing. So he didn't really get into that, this, this, the meat of the issue. Uh, and that's possible the U.S. Supreme Court could do the same thing. I think that's going to be harder to do in Washington. So I, I think the U.S. Supreme Court will hear it. I think if they do, they're going to have to put it on an expedited schedule because it's one year from now almost, mm-hmm. you know, just over a year. So I think they would have to put it on an expedited schedule. Um, um, so I hope they do that. Okay. Now, on the Supreme Court, uh, do they have like – I mean, they have a certain amount of time that they hear cases – and then they write about them, and then sometimes as they were getting out of session, then we'll see a lot of those decisions. So tell us about the Supreme Court. How does that work exactly? Well, um, the Supreme Court gets some ungodly number of petitions from people that want the Supreme Court to hear their case. And the Supreme Court has almost complete and total discretion about which cases they want to hear. So they get I don't know what the number is, thousands and thousands of of petitions for certiorari, which is like, hey, uh, hear my case, Um, uh, the official request for that. And do those requests, though, do they have to go through the lower courts before they can get to the Supreme Court? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, almost always. There are some unusual situations where that doesn't happen, but almost always, right. So if you start in federal court, you got the federal district court level, the trial court, then you would appeal it to the, the circuit court of appeals, and from there it would go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. If you start in a state court, and there's only state issues involved, like in Washington, this issue is whether or not the state could bind their electors. Um, so they went to the state court, then it went to an intermediate level. Um, you know what? It might not have gone to an intermediate in the state court of Washington, but it eventually gets to the state Supreme Court. And from there, if there is a constitutional issue, a United States constitutional issue, then the U.S. Supreme Court can hear it. So if you go to the state Supreme Court, you don't have to go to the, the district court, I'm sorry, the uh, circuit court level. You can bypass that intermediate federal level of appeals. Interesting. Okay, so you just <laughs> mentioned that uh, this, is, this actually is, is fascinating. So you just mentioned mm-hmm. that there is a progressive, so I'm, I'm hearing radical activist agenda uh, to try to get these cases to the Supreme Court, and you said to get rid of the Electoral College. The Electoral College is in the Constitution. I, how can the court actually get rid of something in the Constitution? They're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to no. interpret the Constitution, right? Right, exactly. Um, now, this group that wants to abolish the Electoral College wants to do it through this national popular vote. So they wouldn't have to amend the Constitution or, or ignore the Constitution to do that. Now, they've got some problems there as well, uh, because any interstate compact, which is what this national popular vote idea is, um, according to the Constitution, has to be approved by Congress. So even if enough states pass this NPV, national popular vote thing, like Colorado did, which will be on the ballot, of course, I think in October, right, to overturn that, which I hope we do, um, but even if enough states join this compact, which they haven't done yet, it still has to be approved by Congress. So I don't think that's very likely to happen. Um, but I think there's some, some crazy legal arguments that they're going to try to put out there that it doesn't need congressional approval. Wow. Uh, I, don't see how they can, I don't see how they can do that. But, you know, I, the courts have done some things that I couldn't believe in the past as well. Well, and my understanding, just a correction, I think the national popular vote is on the 2020 ballot. I think. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think it. that it is. Uh, so what we are seeing is a real concerted effort uh, from multiple different ways to try to, to really circumvent the Constitution. And the Constitution was put in place uh, to, um, to take the vision of the Declaration that, of Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness for each individual and to try to keep government balance, a balance of powers, a separate, a separate the powers. And my gosh, D.K. Williams, we are seeing an all-out assault on the Constitution. Your final thought. Well, um, I, I agree with you, and I think if you go back to my episode five of the law, which is Wicked v. Filburn, that was like the, the opened up the floodgates to the uh, uh, mass accumulation of power at the federal level that took it away from the, the, the states. So um, if you want to change the Electoral College, I get it. I get the arguments. But there's a process to amend the Constitution, and I think that is the way to go. I think these other ways to try to get around it are a little cute. I don't think they'll work. I understand why they're doing it. Um, I believe that uh, this notion that democracy is the ultimate goal of all government, which is what these these national popular vote people are basing their their goal on. They they, they want a national popular vote that's more democratic because a democracy to them is 
obviously the best way to run a government. Well, that's an incorrect assumption. Yes. We know it's not because nobody wants 51 percent of the people to be able to ban a book or ban all the redheads back to Ireland. You, and you that's got what a democracy allows you to do. Right. So it's the tyranny of the mob. It's not the ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. It's not the ultimate goal. So their, their premises failed from my point of view. Okay. D.K. Williams, thank you so much. An amazing body of work. Go to Speakeasy Ideas and the Law. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jim. Okay, and James Wilson, we quoted him at the beginning of the show. He said, without liberty, law loses its nature and its name and becomes oppression. Without law, liberty also loses its nature and its name and becomes licentiousness. I practice that word. Okay, here we go. Today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you. And God bless America.